You're listening to Stream of Conscience, Beckett's Religious Liberty Podcast. Today's episode is Permits and Prejudice. I'm Hannah Smith, Senior Counsel at the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. And I'm Katie Geary, a Beckett Fellow. Today we bring you the story of a Muslim community in Mufreesboro, Tennessee. A community that learned the hard way about what American religious freedom really means. So this is a story about how our system works, from the local to the state to the federal levels, how religious freedom is protected in our country. And it's also a story about misunderstandings and prejudice, and how a community can use openness and goodwill to rise above adversity. So I know a little bit about this story because it was picked up on a lot of media outlets. The gist of it is that a Muslim community wanted to build a new Islamic center, and they were stopped, not by the local government, which actually greenlighted the project, but by a state court that was convinced to step in by some angry local citizens. So that's the nutshell version, and we'll get to the legal issues later. But first, I want to really emphasize why we're telling this story, and that is to put a human face on the cases of religious liberty. Uh, That humanity is essential to understanding the need for religious freedom laws, and oftentimes that humanity is really lost in all of the sound and fury. That's so true. Whenever I've thought about this case, I always thought about the Islamic Center as some vague entity. I knew there was a community behind it, but I didn't really have an easy time relating because I didn't have a face or a voice. And that's why we brought in the imam from the mosque. For those who are listening who aren't familiar, an imam is the leader of a mosque. My name is Osama Bahloul, and I am the imam of the Islamic Center of Murfreesboro. That's Dr. Balul. He joined us in our Beckett offices in D.C. to talk about his experience in this case. Dr. Balul was born, raised, and educated in Egypt. He came to America with his wife, and first they lived in Texas, but in his words... We love Texas. It's a very wonderful state, but has two seasons, hot and hotter. So he and his wife decided to move north when they heard about the opening for an imam in Murfreesboro. It was in the end of 2007 or eight. We went to, to Tennessee, and we love it. We arrived in the spring, and it's a very lovely state, quite hilly and green, not like Texas, and this is why we moved to Tennessee. When Dr. Balul arrived in Mufreesboro to be the imam, he found a very strong Muslim community already existed there. We find members of our Islamic center being in Tennessee since 1978. And the community he found was much like any other American religious community. I mean, they moved from praying in one of them's house to pray in an apartment, and then they built they bought a facility, and it was a very big deal for them, and they were very excited about it. And the, the community continued to grow, and they continued to have a need for a bigger facility. So when you got there, where was the Muslim community congregating in Mufreesboro? It was an office building, a 2,100 square foot. Um, it was a wonderful place for the Muslim community for some time, but... Uh, the community start to grow fast and uh, people start praying in the parking lot. We start having an issue with the neighbor and the kids are crying and it was a mess. So this is where everything that came later really started. Dr. Balul and his congregation decided, you know what, we're thriving and we keep growing and we really need a bigger space. Dr. Balul said they first considered buying a church, a building that would be set up already for worship. But then they caught wind of a great opportunity, a piece of land that would provide them with all the space they could ever possibly need. Someone said, it's ideal. 
It was this great piece of land, 15 acres in the county, affordable and convenient. And then something truly remarkable happened. This small community, not a wealthy community by any means. We collected the money for this land in one day. We did not have any idea about any timetable. So for us to collect the money in one day, it was $330,000. A very big amount for a small community. People donate everything they had. Uh, the girls give us then their allowance, and the, the, some of the sisters give us some jewelry, and the people give their saving. It was, it was a beautiful time. So you can imagine this is a circumstance that happens with many religious communities around the country. Your religious congregation's been overflowing its worship space, literally praying in the parking lot, and you get this perfect opportunity to build a proper worship space. The Muslim community in Murfreesboro had a long history of positive interactions with the rest of the community. So there was a great history of cooperation and mutual respect in Murfreesboro. Uh, when Dr. Balul moved to Mufreesboro in 2008, uh, they then moved forward to buy the land in 2009. So he hadn't been in the city for very long, but he had a strong feeling that the project would be widely supported. We thought everyone in our city will, will share this happiness with us because the need for, the, for a new facility was really obvious. The entire Muslim community were not anticipating any opposition. We thought actually... I, get, I feel now it was a very naive position for us. We thought everyone would be very excited. And in fact, they were so sure of this that they unveiled the site before they even applied for the permit. It was the 4th of July, and we had this uh, big sign, uh, happy 4th of July, the future home of the Islamic Center. So in 2010, Dr. Balul's community got their permit to build. No problem. When we applied to have the permit, actually everyone vote in favor of it. But then all of a sudden, some people started to protest the project. They started dealing with a very heavy opposition, not really from Murfreesboro as a city, from, I can say, from the nation. And when we start people, very big names in America, uh, spoke against the Islamic Center. They did this publicly. But we continue to believe, even in this time back then, that the majority of the people in Murfreesboro were in support of the freedom of religion. The local government really did support freedom of religion. That's why they granted the mosque the permit so quickly and in good faith. And yet, there was suddenly a lot of hostility against the Muslim community, and some of it did seem local. For cities and towns here like Murfreesboro, about 30 miles south of Nashville, it's still about God and country. But some residents of Murfreesboro believe that all-American feel may soon disappear, thanks to plans for a multi-million dollar Islamic center in their backyard. They want to make this, instead of one nation under God, America, they want to make this one nation under Islam. In the summer of 2010, things really heated up. The new home of the Islamic Center sign was vandalized, spray-painted with the words, not welcome. And that hostility only increased. So tell me exactly what happened. There was vandalism, there was arson, there were some bomb threats, there were offensive phone calls. Tell me what it was like for you to experience that kind of intense opposition. Well, uh, freedom goes both ways. When you uh, feel like, you know what, you have to enjoy doing what you want, you have to understand other people have the same right. Uh, freedom, you cannot be picky and choosy when talking about freedom. We understand 
the people within the Islamic Center then, we understood really well that people are entitled to protest. People have the right to express disagreement. However, uh, there's a huge difference between someone protesting, saying, I disagree with you, I, do, I don't like you, and someone throwing an allegation without any shred of evidence. Uh, the, the opposition itself, although it was troubling, but uh, the painful part about it, really, its effect toward the specific part of the Muslim community, the youngest one, when a child in the age of seven come to the office and they say, why do they hate us? And I couldn't find an answer. They question our identity. They question our, the authenticity of our religion. They question the right of us to exist or not. They called us, some of them called us animals. There were some members of the community who were so frightened they wouldn't even come to pray anymore. When a senior, an elder man said, I can't come to pray anymore because of uh, any one of them would to stop me, I will not be able to protect myself. And on top of the threats, the center had to learn quickly how to deal with the national and international media. And the whole time, they're still trying to figure out how can we get this mosque built. And we were not trained to handle this. We started dealing with uh, very soon cases in the local court, the federal court, the Supreme Court. Uh, it, was, it was a very complicated time for us. Okay, Hannah, can we back up a little bit? So the community got their permit to build, and they actually went about building the new center, right? Right. So they started building, and they're dealing with all this animosity from local and national sources. And then amidst all the hostile noise, the state court got involved, and this is where it gets legal. Angry local residents brought an action to the state court. And the state court said that the way the local government granted the permit was wrong. The state said that the county planning commission had to give heightened notice for the building of something like a mosque, simply because it was controversial. And that's when the Beckett Fund got involved. We did not realize what we are up against. And for you to have an, a good attorney to represent you in a court, you have to be really, you have to be rich to be able to fund this. And uh, someone mentioned the Beckett Fund. We were not familiar with the Beckett Fund. And we, ha we had really no idea about your activity. And uh, I remember sending, we sent an email uh, to Luke. And uh, Luke then uh, said we have to uh, review this with the board for us to take the case. We talked to Luke Goodrich, Deputy General Counsel of the Beckett Fund. We first found out about this case when there was a significant controversy over uh, whether the Murfreesboro Mosque would be allowed to move into their new building. And we knew right away that it was a very important religious freedom issue where you had an entire local community trying to stop a longstanding religious community from just using a new building that they'd constructed for their religious worship. So what strikes me as interesting about this case is the county planning commission actually got it right. They unanimously voted to approve the site plan. So then the state court got involved and they reversed that decision. Tell me why that's so significant in your view. We've seen a lot of religious freedom cases where the local government, when it's applying its land use ordinances, will try to stop a house of worship from using their building. But in this case, 
the local planning commission, as you said, actually got it right and agreed to allow them to construct a new mosque. And then what you had was a group of hostile local residents went to the local court system and got a local court order that stopped the local government from actually doing the right thing. What really gets me about this is that the state court ruled on the side of this group of local residents, even though there was evidence of serious hostility and even threats of violence against the Muslim community. It just seems like an awful, glaring abuse of power of the state courts. So unfortunately, this happens. And as Luke pointed out, sometimes, you know, this just shows that religious liberty threats can come from anywhere. You can get it from hostile local bureaucrats or you can get it from hostile local residents who use the power of a local court to stop the local government from doing the right thing. And just to clarify, did the Muslim community actually do anything different when they were applying for their permit, or did they do it truly the exact same way everyone else did? So they did it exactly the same way as 20 other Christian churches had done in previous years, and yet the state court said the mosque needed to do more. What you had in this county was a very clear system. It was like clockwork. Every time a house of worship would apply for a permit, the county went through the same process and granted the same type of approval. And the local, uh, local officials followed the same process, in this case, and granted approval to the mosque, but then the local court tried to stop that and said, hey, you have to use a different process for a mosque than you have to use for a church because the mosque is, quote unquote, controversial. And what that does, using a different process for a mosque than for a Christian church, creates a very severe inequality in the law. And including that fact in the brief just made it crystal clear that what was going on here was discrimination against a mosque. And so it's very important, regardless of where hostility comes from, regardless of where restrictions on religious freedom come from, you need to have a backstop. You need to have someone who can step in and say, hey, this is a violation of religious freedom. And so that's the reason why we have federal laws like the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. And that's the reason why we have federal courts, because sometimes local governments don't get it right. Sometimes local governments take away constitutional rights. And you have to have a forum you can go to. You have to have a federal court where you can enforce important constitutional rights, even when local governments are violating those rights. The Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act, the federal law that protects discrimination against mosques and churches, is now going on its 15th year. Uh, it's been around for a long time now, and it's been used successfully to help protect mosques and synagogues and churches all over the country. So tell me how this case, the Mufreesboro Mosque case, is a prime example of why Relupa is so important. Houses of worship are never going to be particularly popular in the land use context. Uh, neighbors don't like houses of worship, and often in part because of traffic or noise concerns. Uh, local governments often don't like houses of worship because they don't bring in tax revenue. And even local businesses often don't like houses of worship because they don't create the sort of retail synergy that businesses like. So what you see, and the reason Congress passed this federal civil rights law, is what you see all across the country is that houses of worship often get a really raw deal in the local land use context. And yet, building a house of worship and having a place to assemble is critical for the free exercise of religion. 
So we had a broad spectrum of support from a diverse group of religious leaders that supported the mosque in this case. So let's talk a little bit about who those people were that stood up and stood arm in arm with the mosque and said, we support your religious freedom rights in this case. One of the most beautiful things about this case is that you had a much larger group of support uh, from the local community and even outside the local community that went across faith lines. You had prominent Catholics, prominent evangelicals, prominent Jewish groups all standing up and saying together, we oppose discriminatory treatment of this mosque. Dr. Balul was pretty emotional about this. I'm really proud of the, the people, Muslims and non-Muslims, working together to support this cause. Then, And that something will continue to be with me the rest of my life. I have to think that part of that is a result of Dr. Balul and his community's reaction to the opposition in the first place. In circumstances that could have caused them to retaliate or harbor anger or bitterness, they instead chose compassion. We always say to the people, you have the right to agree and disagree. We don't mind this at all, but don't throw allegations. Don't hurt the children. Understand that when we deal, you deal with people, you are dealing with hearts. We said we will allow anyone to come to any programs in the Islamic centers without giving us any notice. Any program. We said if you want us to come to your church, we will. If you want to come to the Islamic Center raising any question, we always say the question is yours. Ask anything without filtering. And the answer is ours. And we can guarantee respect, not agreement. So something else about Dr. Balul's attitude was very striking. And this was his total commitment to the American Constitution and to freedom of religion. He really believed in the process. We can all, regardless of our religious practice, we can all agree about one fact. All of us must respect the Constitution. And Dr. Balul had no doubt that the new Islamic Center would in fact exist. Dr. Balul was amazing in multiple respects, but, but two really stand out. One was his immense graciousness toward very hostile local residents. There were, there were people saying very uh, nasty things about, his, uh, about Islam and about this particular group of people. And Dr. Balul, he never responded in kind. He always took the high road. He always responded with grace and with gentleness. And he really modeled uh, what it means to disagree well. And another thing that really stood out to me was his tremendous trust and faith in the American constitutional legal system. He always said, every time we met together, I trust the Constitution, I trust the First Amendment, I trust the court system. Why? Because the Constitution was on our side. So the federal courts got involved eventually. Beckett filed a complaint, the Department of Justice filed a complaint. So at the same time, Beckett and the Department of Justice are opposing each other in some other religious liberty cases. They're actually working together here to defend the mosque in Tennessee. Why is that so significant in your view? Well, the Beckett Fund has long defended religious freedom for everyone, and we've done it consistently in every single context. And so we often end up with strange bedfellows. Sometimes folks on the right are supporting us, and sometimes folks on the left are supporting us. And I'd like to think that we're getting it right most of the time, and other groups are coming alongside. But in this particular case, I think what this demonstrates is that religious freedom is not a partisan issue. Religious freedom is an issue for everyone on the left and the right. And the fact that 
that the Obama administration was coming alongside this mosque at the same time it's not really uh, doing right by other religious organizations shows how important it is to have a unified vision of religious freedom that is not beholden to one particular political party. What Luke said there is really at the heart of all of this. It was this unified vision that was so amazing about this case. It's what brought so many people together. So, Hannah, how did it all get resolved in the end? So Beckett and the Department of Justice filed their complaints in July of 2012. And that same month, the federal court issued an order in the mosque's favor. It was stunning. It felt fantastic. I mean, to, to be able to look into the eyes of our client and to know how important it was to them to get into their building before Ramadan and to, to be able to get that sort of a relief from the court. You know, courts in our, in our justice system, they're great, but they're not known for their speed. And yet we were able to go in and, and just a few days after filing the lawsuit to get a court order that allowed them to get in time, into their uh, building in time for Ramadan. It just meant so much to that congregation. And, and to see that sort of a quick result from our justice system was immensely gratifying. People cried because it was, it was not the building. It was the right of them to exist. It was the right of them to choose the religion they want. I don't think the building itself meant much, if I understand things right. It meant that this woman has the right to wear a scarf and she has the right to go pray. This child has the right to go to a place where he can, or he or she can say, can call, this is my uh, religious building. It meant that this old man was talking to me about uh, hoping that he will be buried next to the Islamic Center, can, uh, can achieve what he wants. And Dr. Balul repeated several times to us that he had this faith that the American system would protect his community. And that faith in the system eventually won out. And I think he viewed that as a teaching moment, uh, not only for him and for his congregation, but for all American people, that our Constitution and our courts really do protect religious freedom for all. It was very important because it led us all to believe strongly that the freedom of religion is a fact that exists in America. It is not only politics in the election season. It is, it is a fact. And when you find the, the Department of Justice working with you, I, I think it was very important for the Muslim community as well because now everyone trusts really that, do you know what, you can be born anywhere, but if you do what's right, you will achieve what you want. And if you do what's, what's right, the Constitution will protect you regardless of, you, of the color of your face, regardless of your language or your, or your religious practice. Respect the Constitution and the, the Constitution will be in your side. I mean, I feel like the circumstance, the entire circumstance was a gift. It uh, led us all to believe in the system and to believe that we are part of America. Thank you to Dr. Osama Balul for his generous participation in today's episode, and to Beckett's own Luke Goodrich. Music in this episode by Eric McNerney. The Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty is a nonprofit public interest law firm dedicated to defending religious liberty for all. For more information on this case, our work, and stream of conscience, visit our website at beckettlaw.org 
or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. This is Hannah Smith and Katie Geary. Thanks for joining us.